Good evening, Redeem family. Welcome, friends of Redeem. Hello, Bishop and Lady. It is indeed an honor to be before you again on tonight. Let me take a moment and just acknowledge all of the laborers in the vineyard here. I have thoroughly enjoyed the messages that have been coming forth. The Fourth Watch with Minister Tion Thorne, certainly Minister Pittman, Minister Danielle, and oh my goodness, if you miss uh, the service on Sunday where Elder Wilson talked about where if I'm in over my head, you want to check that out. It was right there where I was. So I'll go back and reiterate some of the things that she talked about on tonight. So again, thank you for your time on tonight. I'm certainly thankful for an opportunity to be able to share and praise God for my pastors, Bishop James F. Harris and Lady Sylvia Harris. The scripture text that we'll be coming from tonight is the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 23 through uh, 27. Again, it's Matthew, chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. In the King James Version, it reads, Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, Save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea Obey him. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity on tonight to share with your people. Lord, I ask that you fill my mouth and my mind with the words that you'd have me to say. Make it plain, Lord. Let it help us. Let it encourage us to press all the more towards you for the mark of the high calling. And Lord, we'll be sure to give your name all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, this has been near and dear my heart. It's been on my heart for a while, and I pray that it's able to come out to you the way that the Lord revealed it to me. And uh, Minister Thorne had us on the fourth watch. I thought she was literally going to teach the lesson that I was thinking about teaching. It was just uh, such a wonderful message. And then we had a chance to hear Elder Wilson on Sunday talking about in over your head. So on tonight, we're talking about holding on because we're going to the other side. So uh, take note of the topic, hold on. And so that means that there might be some bumps along the way, but it is indeed assured that we are going to the other side. Uh, What I hope and pray that we take from this message is that you'll be encouraged to hold fast to God despite what you may see, feel, or even think. So let's go back to this scripture and slow it down and look at it a little bit. And I'll share with you what the Lord has given me. Now, in in verse 23, this is Jesus, by the way, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. 
Now, the disciples were those who were pupils, if you will, learners. That's why they were following after Christ. So they were doing what God had asked him to do. If you go up in that uh, chapter just a little bit in verse 18, he had given the command to say, let's go to the other side. Uh, Mark says it like this. Mark says it in 435 that Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. So when God says something, that settles it. He said, we're going to the other side. Now, he didn't give a lot of detail about what would happen in between them launching out and them arriving at the other side. But he did indeed say, we're going to the other side. And so when he said that, his disciples followed him. Now, that's a beautiful thing. And what this is saying is that they followed him into the boat. They followed the command that God had given him. And because they were following after God in their minds, they perhaps had some kind of imagination of how things were going to go. But let me say unto you here today, sometimes God can give a command. Sometimes God can even give a promise. But he doesn't always give the detail of how it's going to work out. He just lets you know how it's going to end up. And I think that's where we have to now submit ourselves to be willing to go however God takes us. And so these disciples then, they got in the boat with him and they followed him. Now, think about this. They followed him, but then it says suddenly. And suddenly means quickly, unexpectedly. Suddenly a tempest arose on the sea. Now, a tempest is a commotion or some type of earthquake or a shaking, if you will. It wasn't something that they anticipated but it just cropped up all of a sudden, a rumbling, things happening, coming from the left and the right. And it just came up all of a sudden. You know, now many of them were fishermen and they had seen a tempest before and perhaps experienced one. But I can imagine that some of them may have thought, well, just because Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side, there probably won't be a storm to come up. Some people may have had their own preconceived thoughts about how they were going to get to the other side. But suddenly, as they were doing what God said, this tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. And I want to pause here for a moment. And I want to say there are many of us that are doing all we can to follow after Christ. We're living all we know how to live. Some of us trying to bring some things in line. But many of us are following, doing what we feel God has called us to do. Listening, reading, praying, pressing on, pressing in, if you will. And even still, there can be some rumbling and some shaking that's going on. Some things that are just some commotion. Some things that start to stir you up and shake you up, if you will. And sometimes we think that's, you know, unfair. Or maybe shouldn't be happening because I'm following Christ. I'm doing what Christ said. But there can be some things that just arise all of a sudden to shake you. They're not for your harm, let me say here. They are indeed for your good. And if we look back at verse 24, the scripture goes on to say, but he, talking about Jesus, was asleep. Now, we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so uh, man's side of God was tired and did need to sleep. 
But we now have the benefit of God Almighty, all of God. And we know that the scripture tells us in Psalms 121 and 1, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. But I think that sometimes some of us, when there is a rumbling, when there is a commotion, when all of a sudden stuff starts to go haywire, when things aren't going quite like we expected it would go, sometimes many of us may feel like God is asleep. We may feel like God isn't attending to what's going on. And so just like that, his disciples went to Jesus and shook him and woke him up saying to him, Lord, save us. We're perishing. And so that was their crying out moment. But when they said we're perishing, basically what they were saying is, if I were to borrow a page from Elder Wilson, We're in over our heads here. We don't quite know what to do. Things are out of control. This might even be a life or death situation. I feel like I'm sinking and I'm losing my grip. And Lord, I need you to grab hold of me and save me. Because if you don't do it, I might not make it. If you don't grab hold of me, Lord, if you don't save me, I may not get to my destination. If you don't keep hold of me, Lord, I might struggle holding on to my faith. Lord, I need you to save me. And that saving could be from a physical perspective, from a mental perspective, from some type of hindrance that we might have, from some type of habit, any type of way. That crying out is a desperate cry. And it's saying, Lord, save me. Now, I know you can't quite imagine perhaps what's happening on that boat, but they were not in a big cruise ship like the Royal Caribbean. They were in a fisherman's boat. And if those waves were rupping up all over and around them, water getting into the boat, they were no longer trying to bargain with anybody. They were in a desperate situation. And sometimes we can get in a desperate situation. We can get to a place where it feels like God is asleep, but then we are crying out to him and we're saying, Lord, save me. And I want to say here, it's a good thing to cry out to God. Because when you are in a situation like that, he is the only one who can deliver you. He is the only one, if you will, that can set you free. Now, I do want to say this here. You know, Matthew says it this way, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But Mark says it this way in 435 through 38, that last part. They say it this way. It says, teacher, do you not care? That we're perishing? Do you not care? I mean, they were so desperate with what they were going through. They were starting to get all confused up in their minds. And they even had the thought that, God, maybe you, maybe you just don't even care that we are about to perish. Maybe you don't care. That we're struggling. Maybe you don't care that we, that I'm having such a tough time here that I might not make it. And, and what I want to say is that, yeah, if the disciples could come to that, then I believe that perhaps, uh, maybe, uh, we, uh, might be able to come to something like that too. But then Jesus in verse 26, he said to them, why are you fearful? And so 
um, you know, he asked the question, but let me go back for a moment. When they actually went to Jesus and woke him up and said, Lord, save us. I want to talk about that for a moment because some people just, you know, throw all types of stones at the disciples here, but they did cry out. They did cry out and they said, Lord, save us. Now, just because they cried out to God, that speaks to they had some belief and hope that Jesus could do something. They didn't quite know what Jesus would do, but they had some hope and some belief that Jesus could do something. So, so, so you can be afraid and you can feel like things are getting way out of control and you can feel like you're in over your head and, and you can feel like you just don't know if you're going to make it, but every man has been given a measure of faith. So they had enough faith. They had enough within them to cry out to Jesus. And even though how they cried out and the attitude, perhaps, that they had with them saying, you don't, do you care if we perish? But there was some measure of faith there. And they cried out. And when they cried out, the Lord answered them. And so I want to submit unto you, because we are all given a measure of faith. We have to stand on that measure of faith that we have. The scripture says if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, that we can say to the mountain to be moved and it would be moved. And so I submit unto you on tonight, despite what you might see happening around you, despite how you might feel on the inside, and despite what you may think, if you're finding yourself in a situation where you feel like you're being overtaken or where you feel like you're struggling and you just can't get your breath or you're just striving and striving and you're feeling like you're slipping back a little bit, you can open your mouth and cry out. Just by nature of crying out to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let him know that we do have some faith. I may not have enough to pull myself up out of this situation, but I've got enough to cry out to my father because I know that he is the strength of all nations. I know that he is El Shaddai, the all-breasted one. I know that he is El Roihai. He is the one who will see to it. I've got enough inside of me to cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. I'm perishing. I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. I need you. And so... And so now we know that we, we, we've got to have that measure of faith. And let's be thankful for that. Even if it's not perfect faith, it is a measure of faith. And we saw this in the scripture before. You know, there was this uh, man who had brought his son to the disciples and he wanted his son healed. And, you know, and the disciples couldn't heal him. And Jesus came on the scene and was more or less asking what's going on. And um, the man explained to Jesus and said, you know, I brought my son to your disciples and, you know, they couldn't heal him. And, you know, and then Jesus even asked them and said, well, how long has this man been like this? You know, and so sometimes it's what you see and maybe what you might even think, you know, and, and he says he's been like this for a long time. And I'm paraphrasing it. And even in the midst of the conversation, the spirit sort of shook him and convulsed him and caused him to fall to the ground. And and then, you know, you know, foaming at the mouth and all of that. And, and so then um, 
after a while, you know, the father said unto him, you know, this spirit has even thrown him in the fire in times and, and the water trying to destroy him. But if you can do anything, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus said unto him, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. He obviously had some kind of belief because he came to the father. And what I want to say on tonight, because, you know, sometimes I've even struggled with this. Sometimes, you know, I feel like I should have perfect faith. I feel like I should have perfect faith. And I, I, I believe God for perfect faith. But sometimes I just have my measure of faith. I just have enough faith to crowd and say, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, this is more than I can handle. This I can't carry this. I need you to intervene. And when we find ourselves in that place, know that you have enough faith to cry out to your father. And when you cry out to him, he will indeed hear and he will indeed answer. Amen. And so when we talk about this little faith, so going back to verse 26, Jesus said to them, why are you so fearful? And sometimes when we talk about fear, we know that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. And sometimes based on what we see, you know, we take in a lot of information and we take in things that can bring about fear. And then how we feel, that starts to bring about fear. And then how we think. That starts to bring about fear. And sometimes, and I know you always said, Sister Jessica, what in the world? Sometimes if we're not careful with that thinking, we could even start to think, well, God, do you even care that I'm going through? And of course God does. But, you know, uh, there's a scripture where in Luke 22 and 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. And so his job is to try to wear us down, to try to psych us out, if you will, by showing us lots of things that will appeal to our intellect or our rational mind to make us start to have fear. And when we really allow fear to sit, there's torment and there's disappointment. And then there's unthankfulness. But he asked, why then are you fearful? Knowing I'm right here on the boat. I told you we were going to the other side. I already gave you the commandment. Do you not believe me? It's basically what this next part says, because he says, of you, of little faith. And so when we talk about that little faith, basically what he's saying is, you know, you got to stop looking at surface stuff. You're just looking at the waves in the boat. You're looking at the size of the boat that we're riding in. You're looking at some of the water that's getting on the inside. But you're not looking at who's in the boat with you. You're not looking at all power and all authority that's right there in the boat with you. You're not looking beyond this physical element of what you might see and feel. You're not seeing with the eyes of God. You're seeing with the eyes of man. But you need to just let the Lord anoint your eyes with eyes and say, Lord, help me see it as you see it. Let me see what you're giving to me and not what you're taking from me. Because the enemy's job is to get us in our feelings, to get us in our emotions, to think about what we may lose. Notice the disciples didn't even say, Jesus, you might be perishing too. They were worried about themselves. 
And so sometimes we feel bad because of what we are going through or what has happened to us. And so what we must understand is that God is doing a new thing. And to get to the other side, sometimes there are some bumps. Sometimes there are some crevices. And by the way, I need you to know that I can calm this sea and that I can rebuke the wind so that when I get to the other side to heal other people, you're not standing there, but you, you're interceding. You're praying because you know it's about to be done because you done had your own personal experience with God. If Jesus learned by the things he suffered, then how, what about us? Will we not learn by the things we suffer? But we can't just look at the surface. And and I tell you, I've fallen victim to it during this pandemic myself. Sometimes we can just kind of get to looking at what we see. But God is saying, that's when there's little faith. But we've got to look beyond that. We've got to know that, I think one of the scriptures says, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed begging bread. God is a multifaceted God. He's not just doing one thing. He can do a number of things all with one action. And we've got to trust God in that motion. Amen. When he talks about this little faith in the Bible, he talks about it in Matthew 6 and 30, you know, when, you know, they were worrying about what do we wear? What do we do? What do we eat? What do we do this? And God is saying, that's a little faith. You're worrying about surface stuff. I'm going to take care of that. And then, you know, Elder Wilson had referenced this in that Peter was walking on the water and God says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And so that little faith has to do with looking at the surface, starting to looking at the physical evidence. We can't do that. We must look beyond that. Now faith is, is what Hebrews 11 says. Now. So in the now, I must take stock and I must acknowledge and sometimes even let my mind run reference. Lord, if you deliver me from this, If you delivered me from that and you did this, this is not too hard for you. This is something that you're well able to do. As a matter of fact, I know you to be a keeper of your word. I know that you, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, but I know that you do all things well. And so now I'm going to surrender myself unto you. I do want to take a moment here and say, we do indeed uh, have to hold fast to God, despite what we see, despite what we feel, and despite what we must think. And as we're holding fast, one great way to do that, because sometimes you kind of don't know what to say, you get in the midst of a situation, you have to cry out. You have to cry out. What we know is that throughout history, believers have cried out to God in times of distress. Sometimes after years of praying, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, Lord knows we need to pray, a single cry can bring direction or deliverance instantly. Many have wondered, how is it that this cry can be so powerful, if you will, just crying out to God. But the promise is clear. Psalms 50 and 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. And Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In Psalms 34 and 17 says, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. In Psalms 56 and 9 says, when I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know for God is indeed 
for me. As we're trying to hold on to get to the other side, to inherit the promise that God has given us, we've got to make sure that we know that we can use our voice. We can use our mouth and we can open our mouths and we can cry out to God. We don't have to have it all figured out, but we can just say, Lord, help, help. Now, the reason why I think some of this this cry is so powerful is because there's some characteristics that come along with it. For one, there's genuine humility when you start crying out because you're in a desperate situation. You're not at the point where you now solve a problem on your own. You realize that God is the only one that can do anything about it anyway. And we know that God delights in a broken and a contrite heart that humbly seeks him. And so when we get to the stage where we're crying out to God, We realize we certainly have decreased so that God can increase. So there's some genuine humility there. And then there's also this place of unconditional surrender. And, you know, I hate that God sometimes, for me anyway, has to get me to that point of desperation to where I'm crying out. And that crying out is saying, Lord, I know I can't do it. That unconditional surrender is not even trying to negotiate what's going to happen, not trying to bargain out anything. Your point is, Lord, I just need deliverance at this point. I don't care how you do it, but do it. I need my mind to be at peace, Lord. I don't care how you're going to bring it. I don't know how you're going to do it. I can't figure it out, but I'm crying out to you so that you can do this mighty work in me. And then it also includes this plea for mercy. It starts to realize that I really don't deserve this of my own, but I do know that you are a God of mercy and that your mercies are new every day and that it is by the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed and it's because of your compassion that I fail not and that they are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. I tell you, when you get in some of these storms, you get into some of these situations and you start to cry out, that's when you really, really start to see God for who he is. And that's when you start to see yourself for who you are. Someone that is helpless and really dependent upon the works of God. We have examples in the Bible where people have cried out, Elijah cried out, and a dead child was revived and brought back to life. Jehoshaphat cried out. And what happened to him? He was delivered from death. Hezekiah cried out and God gave him victory. Jesus' disciples cried out. This is our main scripture. And what did God do? He rebuked the wind and the waves. Blind Bartimaeus cried out and Jesus restored his sight. We must not cast away our confidence. We must know that this is a great reward we have in serving our Lord and Savior. We have need for endurance, says Hebrews 10. 35 through 39, so that after you've done the will of God, we might receive the promise. For yet a little while he is coming. He who is coming will come and he will not tarry. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith, but we're not going to draw back. My soul has no pleasure in him, says God, but we are not of those who draw back, but we are those who believe to the saving of the souls. And I submit unto you on tonight, my brothers and sisters, that in times like these, we might feel like we're in over our head. In times like these, we might face some storms that we don't quite know how to get out of. In times like these, we might struggle dealing with those sudden things that kind of come up like a tempest. There might be some commotion or shaking, if you will. 
It is during these times that we might feel our most desperate. It's during these times we might feel most vulnerable and most alone. But we are not alone. It's during these times that we must cry out to God. And we use that cry to exercise that measure of faith that we have so that he can indeed step on the scene. By the way, back to our main text on tonight, when the disciples cried out, what did he do? He arose and he rebuked both the wind and the sea. Now he needed to do both. Why? Because there was a great calm that immediately followed that. Had he just rebuked the wind, the sea would have kept on raging. God knows just how to do. And he does all things well. He did it so well that the men marveled and they said to themselves, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And at the end of the day, God is looking to get us to know him like that. That we understand what manner of man is this. He is indeed a healer. We know that he is a commander over the forces of nature. We know that he can bring the dead back to life. We know that he is almighty God. And he can do just what he said he would do. And that there is no turning back in him. And so Psalms 50 and 15 declares this word from the Lord. Again, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee as children of the living God. Our Heavenly Father appeals to us to cry out to him for deliverance. Let us be quick to cry out to him with humility, with sincerity, and with faith. God will fulfill the desires of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Let us be confident in this, that he who began a good work in me and in you, he is faithful to fulfill it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You pray my strength in the Lord. Hold on. We're going to the other side.